Untitled Beatles podcast. Oh shit! <laughs> the uh, the the theme was <laughs> a thousand <laughs> decibels in my ear. You know, a thousand decibels in my ear was, I think, Yoko's uh, <laughs> art installation that got John so excited. <laughs> yes, imagine. You know, the sign said yes, and there was a lot of noise, and I said, <laughs> that story. if it said no, bug off. Imagine bleeding <laughs> ears. Imagine the sound of shrieking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I've heard two virgins, I'm aware. <laughs> Speaking of two virgins, hey, Tony Mendoza. Hey, look at you, TJ Shanoff. I see you on my Zoomy screen. Hi. <laughs> You. Hey man, welcome <laughs> to the Untitled Beatles podcast, Mr. Zumi. We don't show the video feed of this because usually Tony and I are dirty or naked or both. That's it's why true. it's an audio pod. Well, I'm taking a schwitz right now, which thank Ooh. you, TJ. Now I say now I say that. Thank you, TJ. Great. Let me well, let me think of a goy word I can use now <laughs> to kind of keep up. Uh, I'm excited for Christmas. I do love Christmas. You know that. I know that's Best holiday that's, of the year. I, that's hilarious because I hate Christmas and uh, you know. I was raised raised Catholic. We all that's been mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> we ta- we talked about this. I've had friends who said one of my my very best friends uh, from high school and beyond. My friend Brad listens to this. It's his favorite podcast. I think he might be our one review on iTunes. Oh, thanks. He Brad. knows my shtick better than yeah, which is amazing. He knows my shtick better than anybody. And he goes, yeah, I love the show. It's so great. He's like, you know, you listen enough and you you hear the shtick over and over again. I'm like, I know, because <laughs> I've been great my whole career in comedy and music of having four. Bits I just use on repeat. Right. They're funny bits, so they work. Well, city to city, you know, WKRP. <laughs> <laughs> greatest theme song of all time. So today, <laughs> speaking of greatest theme songs of all time, we're going to be talking about John Lennon's involvement in writing the Jeffersons theme. <laughs> and there are very few. Are we not? Is that yeah. what's going on? Yeah, it was John Lennon, Alan Thicke, and because uh, he sang on different strokes. All right, all right. You know, we we go off on sitcoms. What we're actually going to do? So the last couple weeks we went long because we were talking about John Lennon. It was his 80th birthday. So today we decided we we're going to focus on our favorite Beatles singles. Yeah, we're going to look at the Beatles singles that were part of the official Beatles canon. Uh, and we're using as kind of our guidepost a box set that came out last year, a beautiful box set that I recently got and that I think Tony's looking into getting when the price goes down from $9,000. <laughs> and it's the Beatles Singles Collection, which takes, much like when the CDs in 1987 and into 88, when Past Masters came out, the CDs standardized the Beatles album catalog worldwide, meaning you could get no Meet the Beatles, no collection of Beatles oldies, all the curios and Dave Dextery things from the States or the Canadian records. Um, this singles box set is attempting to do the same thing, right? They are standardizing. These are the songs that were released around the world as Beatles singles. So you're not going to get Long and Winding Road or Nowhere Man, um, or even Yesterday, which is one of their very biggest songs, but it was only a single in a few markets. Yesterday was never a single in the UK. Right. So Tony and I are going to be choosing our favorite songs from the official Beatles singles canon. And there's incredible songs in here, even without some of the ones left off from the rest of the the, the world. It's true. It is totally true, TJ. How, how many are there? There's like 20, 23 or something like that. There are 21 Beatles singles, 22 if you include, and we're going to get into this, one that they included as a bonus single in the box set, 
The anthology singles, Free as a Bird and Real Love, which they combined into a double A-sided single. Um, so this box set features songs from the 60s up through 1970 and then jumps to 1995 and 1996. Yeah, that's so strange. It's so strange. And it feels like it's basically it's based off of maybe the British singles for the most part. Yes. It's it's the singles as officially decided by the group and their management. So these aren't like, again, in the States, Capital said yesterday's a hit. We have to release it. Uh, Long and Winding Road's a hit. We have to release it. And in England, the Beatles and their their management said these aren't official singles. We are not releasing these. But back then, the labels all over the world could do whatever they wanted. Right, right. And they did. And they did. (laughs) (laughs) There'll be a future episode where we get into, like, there's other great curios. Some of the uh, Canadian albums, Twist and Shout, the Canadian Long Tall Sally, the the Japanese Beatles second album is totally different. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, some of the worldwide variations are great deep dives, usually the same mixes as everyone else heard, but with these weird running orders and weird track listings, almost like like a Dave Dexter on Coke, which I think he might have been in, in the early 60s. Yeah, he was in the 60s version of that. Just speed. Yeah. Little bunnies. What do they call them? Not little bunnies. Speaking of little bunnies. <laughs> well, greenies, is well, that was the baseball term, I think. They called them greenies. It depends. Yeah, right. it depends on your culture. Truckers called them something else, little white pills and this and that. <laughs> I'd like to hear you expound on speed knowledge. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Mendoza presents Things They Called Speed. <laughs> well, there was uppers and yellow jackets and <laughs> frisbee frothers and <laughs> hula hoopies. <laughs> oh. I want to hear more about Frisbee Frothers. That's dude, in my fraternity, we did ultimate Frisbee Frothers every fucking day. Those were Canadian uh uppers. <laughs> uh, Canadian so... uppers is my favorite Brian Adams best of. You know, we have so many topical jokes here. So let's get into the meat of this, Tony, because these are so the Beatles singles obviously are among the most famous songs they ever released, and the B sides are usually of an equal quality. It's what we've been saying about the Beatles forever is the Beatles were probably the first act in recorded music, truly in any genre, who gave as much importance to the B side as, as they did the A side. And in fact, many of the Beatles' biggest songs are quote unquote double A side singles, where they released the A side and B side as a simultaneous release. We'll get into some of those, but we're not going to go through every single song here. We're going to talk about our favorites from that collection. Tony, what is one of your favorites from the collection of official UK Beatles singles? I tell you what, I still like this song, and it's uh, it was it's what broke them out in the United States. It's I want to hold your hand, yeah. and the B side is this boy. I gave that guitar away. Uh, I, I love I love this single. I think it's great. It captures the excitement of that moment. I mean, the song was released in uh, November of '63, so just after Kennedy was shot. Uh, you know, they wrote it about Kennedy. It was, and if you look at the, if you look at the, the, the I, and don't edit this out. I just had an on-air stroke. You were talking about a zither, TJ. <laughs> Well, I some people play the sitar, I play the zither, but I don't want to dither or wither for that. This became a Dr. Seuss fucking nightmare. 
Um, no, there's great footage of the Zapruder film where there's four Liverpudlian lads trying to grab JFK's hand. I think I'm ripping off an Al Samuels Blue Coast sketch right now. By the way, for those right, of you well. those of you Torco fans from the late from the late nineties, can Patreon Al <laughs> exactly from here. Uh, it's it's exciting. So this was the first song that ever used a four track recorder with the Beatles. I should say, interesting thing. Both songs took seventeen takes to complete. They were both recorded on the same day, October seventeenth of nineteen sixty three. Mm. Uh, it got over a million advance orders. It was the first U.S. number one. Of course, the U.S. put a uh, different song on the B side. They put "I Saw Her Standing There" on the flip. Yeah. But this is the song that started Beatlemania worldwide. There had been Beatlemania in the UK, you know, earlier in the year. But this is what brought it worldwide and made them... I mean, everything changed from here on out. And I can still hear the excitement in that song. I still love this song. I've heard this song my entire life, you know, since I remember music. It was probably one of the first songs I ever heard. And I still love it. I think it's a great song. It's... It's what it is. It's teenage. It's all. It's it's a lot of female teenage urine. No, I don't know. <laughs> all of us, ladies, co-hosting Intel's Beatles podcast. We have R. Kelly with us. How you doing, R. Kelly? Do you still believe you can fly? Thank you, thank you, TJ. Yes, that was an awful thing to say, but I did hear that that was one of the things about when the Stones played and the concert hall cleared out that it just stunk of urine in the halls. And that goes for, you know, all those Beatlemania screaming bands. Anyway. Well, well, and th- there was a huge wave of incontinence in the early 60s. We should say people were just, a lot of it was in response to Kennedy's death. They were like, Kennedy, Kennedy probably urinated as he was dying. Why can't I pee right where I am? <laughs> wow. See, there we go. Is it, can we, remember, you couldn't make, Kennedy jokes for the longest time. Are we? Are we? I love JFK. I love RFK. I love KFC. I don't <laughs> like the. I don't like the triple K. I'm a Jew. I'm against them. Yeah, I am too. a Kennedy guy, but you can still make jokes here and there, right? Yeah, it was just a. I'm, I mean, this is back in the '80s. I remember comedians talk about how you still couldn't make a Kennedy joke; people wouldn't laugh at anything Kennedy related. This is in the '80s, so. And this is MTV's Kennedy, to whom you're referring. The the VJ. You Thank cannot you. make a Kennedy joke. Thank you. I had a crush on her, and then and then uh, and then I didn't. <laughs> and then I had that same thing with Nicole Eggert. <laughs> this now makes the second Nicole Eggert reference. Oh my! See, we this is my buddy Brad. He's right. We do the same shtick. Did I mention my weird Katie Holmes? I went so deep on Amanda Bynes in the early two thousands. Not not like up close. I should kind of reframe that. That it then became a bit where I would say to women who I have tremendous respect for at Second City, some good friends, probably of both of ours, I would do bits in the, in the early 2000s saying, you know, Gilda Radner was great. Carol Burnett was great. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore was great. But I think our generation's Carol Burnett is a man that binds. made people very angry. I haven't worked since. But back to I want to hold your hand. You mentioned the B-side. Yes, I could not agree with you more. We also, on our mono versus stereo conversation a few months ago, talked about this. It is one of the quintessential Beatles songs that you have to hear in mono. It explodes out of the speakers in mono. The stereo version, which is the one that was commonly heard forever, because for some reason, when the CDs first came out in 1987, excuse me, this was on Past Masters. This would have been 88. Right. Uh, there. 
everything else from that era was mono, but because this was in four track, they issued this in stereo in the first pass masters. And it took the nuts out of the song. The balls were gone because you could hear the guitar intro coming in on one channel, then John's voice on the other channel. And it just felt limp. This song in mono explodes out of the speakers and it's no less impactful now uh, than it was in 1963 or 64. And in fact, this song, I saw her standing there, which was, of course, on Please Please Me, and then This Boy became the three first songs on the first Capital American Beatles album, Meet the Beatles. So Meet the Beatles is most of With the Beatles, sure, but it, start, I, I, it won't be long as track four, because yeah. it starts with I Want to Hold Your Hand, then saw her standing there, and then This Boy, which is a perfect look at Beatlemania. And to your point, Tony, yes, it kicked off Beatlemania around the world, but what makes this song so important is it's the first one that Capitol Records in the States said, oh shit, we can't keep dumping Beatles songs off to these small labels, including Chicago's VJ label, which is what Please Please Me and From Me to You were on. Capital released I Want to Hold Your Hand. It became the biggest hit right as they were coming on Ed Sullivan, and history was made. It's fabulous. And also the writing is is great, too. Like, it was written, they they called it Eyeball to Eyeball, in uh, Jane Asher's parents' cellar, they wrote this song. They had a piano down there. That's where Jane Asher's mom, Margaret, taught oboe. You know, it's just so funny. You know, it was bef- you know they you were read that huge. wrong. She she taught a hobo. <laughs> oh, incorrectly. They used to ride the rails. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she taught Mr. Tambourine Man. What's Mr. Bojangles? Fuck me. <laughs> That's what I meant. <laughs> Both covered by William Shatner beautifully on Rhino Records' <laughs> Golden Throats, Volume 8. <laughs> but to your point about the way the song was written, it, even the intro is tricky. There's the almost offbeat stutter step. It's not a straightforward. It begins, bum, 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 dun, dun, yeah, dun, the, dun, 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 dun. Between, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great song. I, I love it. There's no lead singer. Um, and curiously, this song was written after I Want to Be Your Man. Isn't that funny? I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I, I just read that. I just read that. Yeah, because I think they'd whip that out. For- <laughs> Excuse me while I whip this out, Mick and Keith. <laughs> they, they whipped it out for Mick and Keith. And I think I read somewhere that perhaps that title was on their mind while they were writing, composing this song. Now you're never going to be able to hear I Want to Hold Your Hand without hearing I Want to Be Your Man, I Want to Be Your Man. <laughs> could have been. Could have been. That could have been the hit. What a different could've world been, that know, would be. Think about it. The Beatles just, they weren't known for their taste. <laughs> yeah, it is It is one of the great songs. I actually prefer the U.S. Capitol single of this because I love flipping the B-side on to I Saw Her Standing There, which was, I think, written... What, 11 months or 10 months before that? Or excuse me, it was written in 62, I saw her standing there, but it was recorded in early 63 when they did the Please Please Me album. And to me, the powerhouse of those two songs. Here's a little trivia Hmm. about the U.S. Capitol version of that. The famous uh, picture sleeve has Paul with a cigarette in his hand. And then in 1994, when they had the uh, 30th anniversary single and Capitol uh, reissued it, they photoshopped the cigarette out of Paul's hand in 94. And they put like a... A dong. A spliff. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, well, I'm going to push back on you with this boy because I, I, love, I love the calming effect after the mania and the hysteria of I want to hold your hand. I love putting the flip on and hearing the calm smoothness. Believe it or not, I just used the word smooth. <laughs> WNUA 95.5. Cute, terrible saxophone. Uh, yeah, I, from the fucking Elephant's Memory Band. <laughs> no, no. Those guys were hairy. This, this, the NUA, <laughs> WNUA people were too, too hygienic. <laughs> hey, lay off the scope, bitch. <laughs> All right, let me give you one of mine, Tony, because I have a similar Thank era you. and a similar A and B side. It predates it, but it's, as I've mentioned on the show before, my favorite Beatles song of all time, and it satisfies the exact same uh, exciting A side, cool, mellow B side, and it's Please Please Me backed with Ask Me Why. Yeah. Listeners man. of the show know that the Beatles' one album will forever ever get negative points for not including please please me on it in favor of fucking from me to you i like from me to you it's a great early song but it doesn't i used the term balls earlier got a little hashtag dick on my mind <laughs> but the point being please please me especially in mono is one of those songs that just leaps out at you to me it so encapsulates the early excitement of the beatles i love the story behind it that it was more of a slow roy orbison type of number until george martin was like guys pick up the tempo a little bit and please, please me became their first number one now because it wasn't number one on every fucking chart. It was left off Beatles one, but as far as early Beatles singles go, and I include, she loves you. I want to hold your hand. Yes. From me to you, of course, love me do all that stuff. No early Beatles song sticks out for me the way please, please me does. And that single is like a minute 59 of glory. I agree. No, that's a fun one. It's a fun one. And I, I especially like that flip. I love Ask Me Why. It's one of my favorite early songs. It's so beautiful. And like this boy, it's more proof that John could write a gorgeous ballad. Yeah, and it's not too Teddy Berry. It's not too cloying. I really like that song. But you're the only love that I've ever had. I can't believe it's happened to me. I can't conceive. Uh, Ringo's drumming's great on it. Uh, Ringo's drumming's great on both those. His starts and stops on "Please Please Me" help drive the damn song. Yeah, no, it's these are these are great singles, great early singles. Yeah. Well, another favorite of mine is uh, kind of a mid period, not a double A. They had some double A's around this time. W. <laughs> <laughs> We're referring to batteries, by the way, Tony. Of okay, what's your, what's your favorite battery? Call us up. Are you a nine volt or a D? <laughs> I like AAA because they're, they're kind of cute. Uh, <laughs> remember Jacko? Not Michael Jackson. Remember the Australian guy, Jacko, who was the Energizer spokesperson for a minute? Oi! I'm going to ask that you stop <laughs> looking at me and saying the word Jacko, if you don't mind. <laughs> Oi! <laughs> was he my Jewish uncle? <laughs> Oi! <laughs> Was he clenching his back at the time? I. If your Jewish uncle looked like Brian Bosworth. 
Oh, he did. We called him the Boz because he also sang a mean Lido shuffle. Get a Oi! So there were double A's around this time, like uh, We Can Work It Out, Day Tripper, and uh, Yellow Submarine Eleanor Rigby was considered a double A. Yeah. But in between those two, one of my favorites is uh, Paperback Rider and Rain. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was released in uh, 66, May 30th in the U.S., and then June 10th in the U.K., so the U.S. got... Uh, I, I noticed this a lot. The U.S. got the singles before the U.K., yeah, I, uh, I I think that's because Capital was so hungry to release product, yeah. and that explains a lot of why, you know, uh, Yesterday and Today, which has some of the best John songs on Revolver, was because the U.S. demanded masters, sometimes unfinished masters. On the American Yesterday and Today, you get a different I'm Only Sleeping than the one the rest of the world heard right. because it was unfinished when the master tapes were sent over. So I think that it, I might have just worked good on the show of making up Beatles facts and passing <laughs> them off as real. But I think that's the reason you at the U.S. got some some masters earlier is because Capital, where so many of the worldwide sales were taking place in the States, was clamoring for that product. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, what I like a lot about this is that this was the loudest single to date, I should say, that the Fab Four recorded. During the mastering process, they used something called automatic transient overload control. I love that New Order album. <laughs> I mean, New Order was great, but that one. <laughs> that one is the one, yeah. <laughs> I almost went with Lou Reed and then New Order came out of my mouth. Oh, Very good. different. Good. No, that would have worked either way, but no, that New Order is funnier. <laughs> So this all happened because John Lennon, like, you know, came barreling into the studio one day demanding to know why Wilson Pickett had a single out with more bass than the Beatles. And uh, yeah, so the guys at EMI worked on this, uh, you know, automatic transient. <laughs> Speaking of hobos. <laughs> <laughs> he said hobos. <laughs> I want to just in case. But so, yeah, this marks like a new phase of the Beatles. They're playing different gear. Paul played a Rickenbacker bass. You know, this song notoriously has the huge bass sound, so that's a Rickenbacker. That's not his uh, Hoffner. John's playing his Gretsch Nashville, and then George is playing a Gibson SG, which you see in the promo films for this. Yeah, I love so I love Paperback Rider as a song. To me, like this is the closest the Beatles ever got to sounding like the Monkees, and I mean that in a good way. Like the fun, like the Monkees are fun. Like if you watch those intros and they're in that hot rod, that uh, I did a deep dive on the Monkey Mobile. It's a Pontiac GTO <laughs> with a with a parachute. <laughs> was it specially designed for them? Yeah, it was totally. Yeah, um, I forget the guy's name, um, but yeah, they look like those Ratfink cars that were all the rage. I just love. I do strangely love hot rod culture and all that stuff. And two of them were made of these monkey mobiles, and one of them ended up as a courtesy car at a hotel in Puerto Rico. Whoa. <laughs> we we should end the show. Good night, folks. <laughs> How do you top that fun fact? <laughs> so to me, Paperback Writer sounds like the Monkey Mobile, just like gunning down the highway. It's a fun song. Uh, it came from uh, Paul's Auntie Lil, who asked, why do you always write songs about love? Can't you ever write <laughs> about a horse <laughs> or a summit conference or something interesting? <laughs> That's the quote. <laughs> and then he later wrote Martha, my dear, about his horse, Martha. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought that was about the summit conference hosted, hosted by Martha. 
<laughs> summit conference. I like that. That's exciting. Ooh. <laughs> Tell me where the summit conference. Isn't that the same thing? Isn't the summit just a fancy conference? I know, right? I don't know. That's the quote. You're right. What is a summit conference? Who knows? But yeah, so they, they use like a new miking technique to, to get that bass sound. So instead of just miking a bass amp, they took a loudspeaker and used the speaker as a microphone. So that, yeah, and that's how they were able to get that huge sound. And anyway, I just love this song and I love its flip too, because that's to me like, to me, this is their first officially druggy sounding yeah. song, Rain. This is the, it's, it's the beginning of the psychedelia. It was recorded faster than we hear it. So the tape is slowed down on the basic track of the instruments, which gives it that kind of muddy quality. But then the vocal was pitched up, you know, so already they're playing with mm -hmm. your head. You know, obviously there's the backwards tape stuff going on. And then Ringo's drumming, he considers it his best drumming on a Beatles record. So it's just a fun, wild little song. I love watching art change and shape. And this is when the Beatles were officially doing that. Rubber Soul dabbled in it, but like it's when we get to 66 that the sounds really, really start to change. The, the, these singles were not on Revolver, but are of that era, and it's such a great, uh, you know, it's it's the age-old discussion of what's your favorite era of Beatles music. I think real fans love them all, but that mid-era Rubber Soul Revolver is probably mine if, if I had to pick, and the single to which you referred is part of that. It's another one, Tony, to harp on this, where Mono Paperback Writer blows Stereo Paperback Writer away. The different kind of, you can hear the effects, some of the echo, some of the reverb. I think there's some phasing. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a different listening experience. We should mention every Beatles single up until, man, I want to say Ballad of John and Yoko was mono. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, if possible, like if you can listen to these singles, listen to them in mono. Because that's how they were meant to be heard, and that's how they were heard. I think, uh, accuracy department, I think Get Back predated Ballad of John and Yoko. Rain to me is the song I play for someone who goes, yeah, I kind of like the Beatles, but I've heard, I've heard everything. Because Rain, in Beatles parlance, is obscure. Rain is right. one of the songs that up until File Under Rock, iTunes <laughs> presents Tomorrow Never Knows, 1799 with the anthology version of Why Don't We Do It in the... Like, fuck, give me a fucking break. But that Rain is not one that's ever... It was It was not on any of the Greatest Hits albums. No. Um, I don't even think Rain was on rock and roll, uh, rock and roll music. So Rain to me is one that I think is... Counts as obscure, despite being the B-side to one of their biggest mid '60s singles. I could not agree with you more on this one. It's a great coupling. What about you? You got what do you like? It's tricky. There aren't really any other Beatles songs I like, <laughs> so I kind of feel as if you know we could talk monkeys. I think the Head soundtrack. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, the porpoise song, man. Bring it. The porpoise song is great. I also the monkeys I really love, and I think real monkeys fans love this. Are fans of the 1986? That was then. This is now. <laughs> I really feel like the monkeys <laughs> reunion tour. Nice, nice yeah. Uh-huh. Coincided with Hands Across America, man. <laughs> that's right. The poor man's we are the world. Um, that's something else. Trump has fucking ruined. You can't do Hands Across America anymore because you can't touch anybody. He ruins everything. The Trump virus ruined everything. Oh, the Trump, the Trump virus. The way he even says the word China. Oh yeah, drives me absolutely, absolutely crazy. I hate the way he says millions and billions. There's something about it. Fucking. Well, I try not to listen. Right. One of the one of the other worst things that drives me so crazy is when he's telling a story about someone talking to him. He's like, yeah, and they came to me and they said, sir, please, sir, like he's in a fucking community theater production of Oliver. Like you (laughs) fucking idiot. By the way, PSA: There's no such thing as a Republican Beatles fan because they don't understand the meaning. There we go. That's one to fucking grow on. One of mine is one of my very favorite songs. Another great A side. It's a classic. It's another classic Tony that has to be heard in mono to really get the juice of it. With I think George Harrison's best spiritual B side. And it's Lady Madonna with the inner light. Nice. This is one of the first Beatle 45s I ever owned as a kid. My father purchased it for me at Orange's Records in the Century Mall. It wasn't Peaches. There was a small store in the Century Mall called Orange's in the sixth, I think the sixth floor of the Century. And it's where I got my first two. The first two Beatle 45s I ever got were Can't Buy Me Love. And they originally tried. This is me at six years old. They tried to sell us the then current Elton John hit. Uh, Mama can't buy you love, and I remember being like, "No, I don't. I don't think that's it." <laughs> and I came home with the Orange Capital "Can't Buy Me Love" single. I'm uh, back with you. Can't do that. But uh, Lady Madonna, it's it's Paul. It's a fairly after the glory of some of their experimental stuff. The Beatles got back to basics with the White Album and what kind of what followed, right? Lady Madonna is anti-psychedelic. It's kind of a, a, a Fats Domino throwback song. Totally. But it is, it is such a great piano rocker with great saxophone, incredible backing vocals. And again, in mono, it just sears out of the speakers. And with all due respect to Love You Too and all due respect to Within You Without You, I think the inner light is the most buoyant, and sunny and clear and spiritual to me of all the George Indian songs. It's the best one. It's the most tuneful. It's the most pretty. Uh, the lyrics are wonderful. Yeah, that's a, it's it's a great B side, and I lo- I do love Lady Madonna. Have you ever heard the Elvis version of it, TJ? <laughs> Did he record it when he was uh, calling Nixon to to shit on John Lennon? Not literally. He wasn't he wasn't into that. No, that was Jagger Hoover who was into that. <laughs> right, right. Sunday morning creeping like a nun. Friday child forget to die soon. See how they run. Lady Madonna, children at your feet. <laughs> this one here. I'll tell you what, you guys are hungry?
I should not dismiss Elvis. Uh, please tell me why I should hear Elvis's Lady Madonna. Well, because it's like a minute long, and he swears in it. Does he remember <laughs> recording it? <laughs> There was a time in the 80s when CDs were new when RCA Records released a different Elvis compilation every 15 minutes. <laughs> like, everywhere you go, it's like, ooh, Moody Blue 2. <laughs> we need Moody this Blue 2. On Blue Vinyl. Yeah, they did. They did <laughs> a, there's a Moody Blue Blue Vinyl. <laughs> Off topic real quick, but on topic with the Beatles. Sure. At the time of this taping, that John Lennon uh, Ultimate uh, Box or whatever you want to call it came out. And I did listen to it, and I I, I quite enjoyed uh, these new ultimate mixes on you know things like God and the Plastic Ono Band era stuff. Can I say this? Yeah, the cover is the shittiest thing. It's terrible, right? It's just it looks like one of those you know those standard like I don't even know like twentieth century artists presents yeah and they all look the same and they all look cheap it all looks like it's you know like if it was a cd it was just gonna be like not even you couldn't even fold open a book it's just like a f- fucking <laughs> a square piece of paper uh-huh. jammed in there a fucking leaflet and it's this black and white photo of him that's fine and it just says in gold on it like john lennon it's like come on people like <laughs> This John Lennon, you 80th birthday. You had a chance to at least make the cover art beautiful on something that's just streaming, whatever. Well, and the, there's a bigger conversation because I've heard that, and I was actually gonna. I want to know if you'd heard those mixes because I um, may or may not have ganked them and matched them on iTunes because I can't rebuy. You know, I, sorry, I, I, I'm not going to rebuy Angela at this point in my fucking life. <laughs> That was the one that, yeah. That's the one that, well, and (laughs) they can't pull woman is the hmm, of the world in 2020, which I get, but why not New York City? I don't understand. I've always liked New York City is is the the, the second best song to pull. Sorry, John Sinclair, but I felt (laughs) like New York City is that, by the way, every time John says got to, you take a shot, and then by the end, you can't drive for two weeks. Um, Yeah, I was going to talk to you about that because two things, those mixes are pretty damn good and in some cases totally unnecessary. Yeah. Because especially the Plastic Ono Band stuff is so clear, but it's the original so clear too because it was it's so sparse. But what's an insult to Beatle fans is that as we approach the end of this terrible of years, 2020, um, in a year that is the 50th anniversary of Let It Be, which was postponed till next year, there's no remix of All Things Must Pass, and to the point of this conversation, no remix, a no 50th box set remix of Plastic Ono Band. So yes, it's cool to get Isolation and and God and Working Class Hero and some of those songs, but to your point about the cheesy cover, I've got a friend uh, named Mark Garino. He's a writer. He I writes know Mark. for the Washington Post. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, a lot of us do. He writes for the Washington Post, writes for Christian's Monitor, great writer. He put up a great Facebook post a few weeks ago about how every Bruce Springsteen album for the last 20 years looks like it's a KTEL release. <laughs> how one of the great people in rock, it's like just a picture of him on the cover, kind of smiling, yeah. or maybe he's with a horse. <laughs> You know, no, I like, love Mark. He's he's good. He's a good writer. He's a great writer. And when you said that, I had the same thought when I said the Give Me Some Truth cover. It feels like a thoughtless best of. It yeah. doesn't feel worthy of a remix compilation on two discs of um, some of the greatest songs ever written. It's really frustrating. Yeah. They, uh, they blew it on that one. Thanks a lot! Well... 
I'm going to, I'll tell you my favorite Beatles single of all time where they did not blow it. To me, this is probably the best single ever. <laughs> and that would be Strawberry oh, Fields. I, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, I was going to interrupt you. It's the Beatles movie medley from 82. <laughs> How do we splice a bunch of songs that don't go together from an album nobody's going to buy? My dumb bit stepped on what you were going to say, which is... It's okay. Here's the beauty. It's Zoom. It's fucking Zoom. It's, it's also my... It was going to be my next one, too. So talk about it. Is that right? Okay. I mentioned, but yes, this was my number three as well. <laughs> so it's Strawberry Fields uh, backed with Penny Lane, or it's a double A side, really. And Penny Lane's the one that actually it charted higher. And um, in the U.S., it was Strawberry Fields backed with Tell Me What You See. Because <laughs> of Dave Dexter, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to give you my deep dish on this song because uh, it ranks as it's a uh, spoiler. It's my favorite Beatles song. And I'd like to save that for when we talk about our favorite Beatles song. Strawberry Fields is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. OK. OK. Yeah. That's my favorite Beatles song of all time. For sure. And it hasn't changed. It's been that since I was 14. Um, I don't know. There's something about this song. I just, I fucking love it, right? So, yeah, it was uh, recorded November of 66 and then, you know, released February 13th in the U.S. and the 17th in the U.K. It peaked at number two. It was the first single in the U.K. since Please Please Me not to reach number one. Um, let's see. Strawberry Fields got number eight in the U.S. Penny Lane reached number one in the United States. The, the journalist uh, Pete Dodgett said that Penny Lane was pop art and that Strawberry Fields was art pop. They played the videos for those, those great, some people call them the first music videos, but those promo films that they shot uh, for both songs were played on the Ed Sullivan Show and uh, American Bandstand. Did they air in black and white originally? Did though did I, I or am I confusing the Magical Mystery Tour airing in the BBC and in, in black and white? Yeah, I think you are. Well, okay. it depends. Here's what I know: when the Doors did "Light My Fire," they were in color, and that was summer of '67. So I don't know if Ed Sullivan was color by February. I'm not sure. Ed Sullivan's color today is dead. <laughs> yeah, man. For those, of you, I, I I'm sorry if those of you are listeners who didn't know Ed Sullivan was dead. I apologize. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, we'd hate to be the bearers of bad news. <laughs> when did Sullivan die? I don't even know. Did he die before we were born or what? Didn't didn't uh, Leno cockblock him from getting uh, <laughs> trying to turn it into a, another insult for Jay Leno? <laughs> fuck Jay Leno, by the way. And fuck his car shows. Yeah, no, Jay's and fuck his was... non bits. And fuck Mavis. <laughs> his wife. <laughs> sure, why not? I mean, I would. Don't tell my. Don't tell Carrie, but Mavis Leno is my one. Good. Amanda Bynes, Mavis Leno. <laughs> Let me give my order. My new order. Hey, call hey. back. <laughs> oh. Stay tuned next for nice. bonus footage where I play the one new order song I know repeatedly. <laughs> but you, you did it on the spot. That's good stuff. I have a problem. Well, t- <laughs> when they when these videos were played on like American Bandstand and stuff, the teenagers di- really didn't know what to make of them. They were they called the the Beatles deliberately weird. Somebody said they ought to stop being so clever and give us some tunes we can enjoy, which I get. I mean, I do get it. Strawberry Fields is weird. It's a weird song. I mean, even te- uh, Townsend called it utterly bizarre, creative, strange, and different. When Mark Lindsay of the Paul Revere and the Raiders heard it on the radio for the first time, he turned to his friend and was like, 
Now what the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> uh-huh. When Brian Wilson heard it on the radio, uh, purportedly on Barbiturates, the guy with him said he was. they were driving around in a car and it came on the radio, and Brian Wilson said, they did it already. Maybe it's too late. And, you know, uh, this is when he was working on Smile, you know, Good Vibrations was was out and he was trying to do, you know, bigger than Good Vibrations. And then Strawberry Fields comes out, followed by Sgt. Pepper. And it's kind of like, ah, fuck, they beat me to it. Yeah. I just love this song. It's just a, it's a weird song. And it's only a verse and a chorus, you know, or a chorus and a verse, I should say, if we're going in order. And um, even though like the 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 fading in and out and stuff is not a favorite thing of mine, there's something about this song that I find so exciting and original and and dark and colorful. It, it's all of those things. It is one of the. It is not my favorite Beatles song, but it's one of my favorite Beatles songs, and it exists. It's I've used this term before, and and I, I feel like it's. I'm not using it correctly because it has a negative connotation, but it's one of those songs that since I've been a kid, it's felt like it's giving me a nightmare, but (laughs) it's in the most beautiful way possible because it's so haunting. (laughs) And because it's spliced from different takes, the key is weird and the tone is weird. And John's voice is weird. And the instrument, if rain is the most psychedelic Beatles song, I think strawberry fields is the most druggy Beatles song, even more than Lucy in the sky. Strawberry feels yeah. to me always just it it feels druggy. John famously later said that he thought that was one of the songs that was recorded terribly. Right. And George Martin, I, I read an interview with him where he wasn't offended, but he kind of laughed it off and said the amount of work that went into splicing the different takes yeah. and different versions of that. It's not like they they dashed off Strawberry Fields. That was an arduous process of making that master. 45 studio hours. Yeah, it was the most time they'd ever spent on a song up up until then. And, you know, they maybe Maxwell Silverhammer topped it off at the end. <laughs> but... <laughs> Wait, we need another take of Mal Evans beating on a cowbell or an anvil. <laughs> off time. Off going, going. Favorite part of Let It Be. A bang, bang. <laughs> what you, Which, what? you know, that's not even his fault. He probably did do it in time, but the editors, you know, <laughs> couldn't sync it up. <laughs> Uh, my hit list, uh, Donald Trump, Mavis Leno, and Michael Lindsay Hogg. <laughs> These are the people who offend me. Um, but yeah, Strawberry Fields is... Uh, uh, most Beatle fans know Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane were in consideration to be part of the Sgt. Pepper album. Yeah. It is what I've said about the Beatles forever. It's not just whenever I people will say, what is it? Why are you so into this group? It is equal parts the music and the mythology. The fact that two of the greatest songs ever written, not just by the Beatles, but by anybody, Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, as one single didn't make one of the greatest albums ever recorded is outrageous. They just kept creating and creating. It was relentless and it was beautiful and it was tasteful and it was both of its time and it was of Every fucking time. So I can see how Strawberry Fields sent shockwaves. And then Penny Lane felt like a very typical. I'm probably more of a Penny Lane guy than a Strawberry Fields guy. I, you can't go wrong with either. But in terms of the sunshine of Penny Lane, which I think you could still call the B side. Yes. Yeah. I believe technically Strawberry Fields Forever is the A side. Penny Lane takes that trip and Penny Lane picks it up. And Penny Lane is still trippy. But it's 
sunny and beautiful and again tasteful that flugelhorn something about penny lane that i have always loved and you can finally get it officially in the sergeant pepper box set it ended with a uh, the original single edit had the flugelhorn coming back when paul sang Penny Lane, you heard a bum, 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 bum to end the song over Ringo's kind of cymbal trill. Yeah. Um, piccolo trumpet. The piccolo trumpet. I'm, I'm sorry. That's right. Um, that was edited out by the time the single was finally released, but it was on like, I think, Beatles rarities. And if uh, it, it kind of if you have followed the Beatles long enough, you probably heard it. But it's beautiful. And even the Beatles were like, we don't need it. This song is so full and so gorgeous. We don't even need to bring that back. Let it just end with with Ringo's kind of cymbal trill. Um, but yeah, Penny Lane to me, one of that video when they're kind of walking around Liverpool, because th- both those songs, I mean, we don't need to get into it because it, almost everyone knows this, are about areas in Liverpool that represent their respective childhoods. Yes. Yeah, Strawberry Fields was like a Salvation Army house or something, and Penny Lane was kind of a... Like a Times Square. What's that called in New York? A district. Yeah, like a Union Station kind of for the buses. Um, uh, and I, I've been there and I've seen the oh, barber yeah? shop and I've 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 I did that whole kind of the the magical mystery tour for only four hundred seventy eight pounds or whatever <laughs> whatever it was at the time. I'm not referring to the spaghetti scene in Magical Mystery Tour either <laughs> when, when I say that. That's also given me nightmares forever. The spaghetti scene in Magical Mystery Tour gave me nightmares from probably 8 to 14 years old. Well, that's ironic because um, that was a Lennon dream. Right. So Lennon's dream gave you a nightmare. It was, uh, And we could also talk about number 9 dream. We, we could go so deep on all this <laughs> the, stuff. The dream is over. The, <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> I, I was the walrus. Um, we listened to a lot of John Lennon the last couple of weeks around here, but this uh, would have been his 80th. I'm sure you did too. But yeah, so Strawberry Fields is probably in my top 10 favorite Beatles songs. Penny Lane's probably in my top five, but the, oh, wow. cu- the cumulative effect of both those songs together make that single one of my favorite Beatles singles. And I was going to bring it up because it is so diverse and so varied. And as a single, I don't think there's ever been another quote unquote 45 like it in the history of recorded music. What else? I mean, what what was the B side of fucking hungry like the wolf? I mean, you know, th- think about think about think about it. which is definitely the next best song in the world ever. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, think about because you and I are kids of the seventies and the eighties. I, I was probably more into eighties top forty than you were. But think of all yeah. the seventies and eighties songs we know and love. What band has put out a forty five with two songs of that? Genre bending, pop culturally accessible, brilliantly written, even more br- brilliantly recorded music. It's never happened. Yeah, I mean, maybe wouldn't it be nice with God only knows is a, is one of the yeah no is, the, is a, a, a fairly similar. You'd have to argue two... about that one. Yeah, they're 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 of the same caliber for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think it depends and, and, on I'm, the day. I'm, 
Yeah, uh, it, uh, true. But there are very few bands who've attained that level of success who have those two songs aren't just great, but are among the best at what they did. Um, because you took my third, nice job. Anything else you want to say on those? I do. I do, actually. I wanted to let Please. you know that David Mason, who was the guy who played the piccolo trumpet. Dave Mason, right. So this is the 1967 gig economy. He was paid 27 pounds, 10 shillings for that, for that piccolo trumpet solo. 27 pounds, 10 shillings. Then Dave Mason later went on to record, Been away, <laughs> haven't seen you in a while. How have you been? Same have guy. Have you changed your style and do you think? Right? <laughs> yeah, Great that's song. that stuff. Yeah. That was... There ain't no good guy. That, that was used on an episode of WKRP. <laughs> And to close the episode out, and it's a great song. <laughs> That's a that was the one I thought the wildest thing about the seventies that that suddenly every like middle aged man with a beard suddenly had a recording contract. Everyone's uncle started like <laughs> making this like record company money. And oddly enough, everybody's uncle was also in traffic. I mean, literally, there was lots of you know pollution and cars on the four hundred five. Man, I sound L.A. talking. Oh about yeah, it. I thought you were in Santa Monica for a minute. I thought I was talking to my my uh, hip L.A. friend. I, I will tell you, I've I've never lived in L.A., but Laurel Canyon in the sixties. Come on, man. I have no idea what I'm saying right now. Um, it was a scene. I, I'm gonna get. I want to go back because there's a reference I forgot to mention. We talked about paperback writers, so I got to mention this. And the monkeys, Chris Carter, who hosts Breakfast with the Beatles on Sirius XM, I think he's the original Breakfast with the Beatles host, um, not the former NFL receiver, but the the Beatles oh, got uh, it. DJ Chris Carter. Always a lot of confusion. Favorite Beatle fan, Randy Moss. <laughs> Good evening. Um, uh, he played a mashup a couple weeks ago of Paperback Writer and I'm a Believer that made too much sense, where oh. somebody mixed those two songs together, and uh, you got to seek it out. It's weird. That's and what it I meant. Work and it does. That's what I yeah. meant by Paperback Writer was the closest they got to sounding like the Monkees. Maybe Run for Your Life would be the, the number two Monkees sounding song, minus the lyrics. But uh, that is that makes sense. There you go. So. Let's move on to my final favorite Beatles, uh, my honorary favorite Beatles single. Um, and again, it's it's one that doesn't have my two favorite Beatles songs on it, but it's just so powerful and so stark and so major, I have to include it. And I could say, I'm not going to bore you by saying the same shit I said about um, Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane, about how no artist has done that. Hey Jude, backed with Revolution is out fucking rageous. Yeah. The A-side is a seven-minute ballad, seven minutes plus, that had never, a song that length had never topped the charts before, ever. And you can love Hey Jude, you can hate Hey Jude, you can't deny the fact that it's the biggest selling, oh, uh, here comes, mo next up on Beatle Lies... <laughs> I was going to say Hey Jude's the biggest selling single, I think, in America. I think She Loves You still holds that claim in the UK in terms of biggest selling singles. Okay. But uh, Hey Jude, I think their quote unquote most famous or best selling song backed with Revolution, which is one of the rockingest Beatles songs ever recorded or released. Try to find another band, another artist who's put two songs like that back to back on 145 and had it be such a hit. It's incalculable that they were able to pull that off. 
Well, there was this other band the next year uh, called The Beatles, and they put out something backed with Come Together. That would be, if we kept going, that'd be right there, too. <laughs> uh, the uh, Something Come Together, and it's rare, by the way, now that you brought that up, that the Beatles released singles with songs that were already on their albums. Most of the songs we've talked about didn't appear on the British Beatles albums. Yeah, this is the first to do that. Yeah, and Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields were on the Magical Mystery Tour album, which became canon throughout the world when the CDs were released, but that was primarily an American hodgepodge album, Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah, the Beatles actually did not dig that when it came out, that album, meaning the Americanized Magical Mystery Tour, you know, putting all the singles on the B-side of the long player. They were not into it. it was an EP with just the film songs in uh, in most of the world. But in America, they said kids don't buy EPs into the full-length album. I mean, one could argue in 2020, Magical Mystery Tour is a better album than Sgt. Pepper. I know, so, I know a lot of friends. I know a lot of friends who prefer Magical Mystery Tour. If if you if you take a day in the life off Sgt. Pepper, Magical Mystery Tour is a better album. I still give Sgt. Pepper the edge because there's no... Uh, I mean, is is a day in the life the most perfect Beatles song? We'll save that for when we talk about our our absolute like emotional favorite songs. But um, yeah, so uh, uh, you're right. Something come together is those two songs. It's one of George Harrison's best songs, one of John Lennon's best songs. But there's something about Hey Jude and Revolution that feels so bombastic. Both A side and B side are like bombast personified seven minutes with the sing-along chorus at the end that doesn't end with Paul's vocals getting more and more and more passionate as he's riffing. And then the B side among the most emotional John Lennon's ever sounded on a Beatles record. My God, Hey Jude revolution. I, I there's no other single like it. Well, they did it again. The Beatles have wowed their two most ardent fans. <laughs> What is ardent anyway? What does that mean? Uh, Argent saying, hold your head up. <laughs> hold your head up. Whoa. Who's the guy? Is that, that did Argent come from the zombies? Yeah, that's Rod Argent from that's the keyboard player from the zombies. Yeah, man. I still have Argent's circus record somewhere out here, unless I sold it back. one recorder one keyboard two jags the untitled beatles podcast okay but for real back to amanda Bynes, and i'm not like i'm not a body guy what does that mean i do love the movie my bodyguard (laughs) i do too filmed in chicago great movie filmed in chicago this isn't the whitney houston thing this is the thing from the 70s with christopher makepeace in it yes who later went on uh, chris makepeace to his friends thank you Chris Makepeace, your generation's Fred Savage. I don't know what the fuck any of that means. <laughs> okay, well, uh, thank you so much. It's been another fun one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not done. There's one more song to talk about before you rap. Oh, what are we talking about? Before you start oh, your, yes, your rap. Yes, yes. Uh, the Beatles singles collection, we can talk about this briefly, Tony, included, and we talked about this, the Beatles single collection is now canon. These are the official Beatles-approved 45s. It's got a double-A side of the anthology, Jeff Lynne, Threedle songs, Free as a Bird, Backed with Real Love, which were two separate singles 
in 95 and 96. I had a weird thing for Free as a Bird when it came out Thanksgiving week of 95. Yeah. Because it was the first Beatles song that was new in my lifetime. So I put too much importance on it, even though John was dead. uh, Paul and George hadn't played together since the Beatles, unless you include Paul doing backup vocals on all those years ago, which doesn't really count. Interesting. But when Free as a Bird came out, as mediocre of a song as it is, I was in tears and wowed by it. So it doesn't belong with the rest of the singles here. The single just before it is Let It Be, You Know My Name, Look Up the Number. Not the same song, by the way. That's not, it's not a, not one full song. That's the, the B side. But to have Free as a Bird and Real Love in the collection is interesting because it shows that the Beatles organization counts it as one of their official singles. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm glad it's included. I'm glad it's included. Um, yeah, but it does feel so different. It does feel, it just feels like an asterisk, you know? Asterisk took some of the best early Beatles photos in Hamburg. <laughs> she was. <laughs> no, but, you know, we were we did just that moment to go goof on the whole Monkeys reunion tour of 1986. And it's like, okay, well, is the three, how, you know, the three Beatles had more prestige, but how different is it, you know? I don't think it was as much a cash in, but it is kind of like, I don't know. I'm glad they did it. I am glad they did it, but it's just, you can't, it's still very apples and oranges to me. Yeah. Apples and oranges. <laughs> yeah. Apples records, <laughs> Apple records and oranges at the Century Mall, there you go. which also had Rubik's Game Room. And by the way, keep your wallet in your front pocket at Rubik's Game Room in the basement of the Century, because if you don't, he gone. Are you serious? You got pickpocketed at the Rubik's Game Room? I didn't, but I'm pretty sure. Wait a minute. Rubik's. I'm confusing two game rooms. Rubik's Game Room was on State Parkway right next to downtown records. The wow. Century Game Room, I forgot what it was called, but the Century Game Room, yes, it was dark, it was the 80s, and many a purse and many a wallet was stolen from the Century uh, the Century Game Room. Now, what was the arcade on Belmont by the L? I, I used to go in there in the 90s. Oh, yeah, what was that called? I, I don't remember. I do remember Muskies right there by the L, which would deliver one burger to you at 5 in the morning for like $6. It was... Remember the 90s? Remember when Clinton was in charge, how calm everything was? It was better. It was a better time. Um, we I remember not wearing a mask in the 90s. I do remember that. Or pants. <laughs> well, the shorts yeah, were as wh- long as pants back then. And the shirts were as long as pants. <laughs> and the shorts were as long as shirts. Remember those days? Oh, the 90s. With short sleeve shirts that the sleeves would go down past your elbow. <laughs> I don't miss that, but... Uh, I would gladly wear one of those stupid shirts again if I didn't have to wear a mask. I'd go back to the 80s when Cosby was acceptable. <laughs> Bef- remember, remember before you had to hate Bill Cosby? It's like, I've because I've given up on Cosby, I've given up on Woody Allen. You remember the days before you had to give up on these idiots? Yeah. Well, and then Michael Jackson. And Jacko, for that matter. Oi! Let's have a Jacko. Oi! Oi, me back in a land down under. Thunder in a fight at Cumbay. That's the next closest. Down under and whatever the B side of that was, was my strawberry fields. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Down under and uh, th- th- no, those were two separate singles. Anyway. <laughs> Which single? Who can it be now, Tony? Right. Thank you. Thank you. Those, that, that was not a double A. No, but Colin Hay played double A baseball very briefly <laughs> in Australia. Heard his back and said, Oi! And now we've brought it all full yeah, circle. Man. 
Um, I do want to mention next week's show, it's going to be all Ringo's Bad Boy and Amanda Bynes. We're going to take an Amanda <laughs> Bynes movie, compare it to a song from Ringo's Bad Boy, and just see where we go with it. Yes, it's tentatively called Lipstick Traces on Amanda Bynes' Cigarette. Mmm. You. Why you Abraham Lincoln? Untitled Beatles Podcast. Like and subscribe. <laughs>